Well, this morning, I want to start off by telling you a story. It's a story about a dad who took his small son with him to town one day to run just a few errands. When lunchtime arrived, the two of them went to a familiar diner for a sandwich. The father sat down on one of the stools at the counter, lifted the little boy up on the other stool beside him. He ordered lunch, and when the waiter brought the food, the father said, Son, we'll just have some silent prayer. Dad got through his prayer, prayer first, and he waited for the boy to finish his prayer, but he just sat there with his head down for like an unusually long time. So when they finally looked up, his father asked him, What in the world were you praying about for that long? With innocence and honesty of a child, he said, How do I know? It was a silent prayer. <laughs> We're going to be talking a little bit about prayer today. We're going to be jumping back, as you can see, into the book of Colossians. If you were not here, uh, I think it was about a month ago, we introduced this great book. Um, I always want to catch you up just briefly before we jump back into it. Uh, this book is a letter written to the church of Colossae by the Apostle Paul. This church was a young church from a very small, seemingly insignificant town. Paul, he is writing to them to encourage them because there were heretics and false teachers around, much like today. And they were trying to distort the truth. They were trying to influence the church. And so Paul, moved by the power of the Holy Spirit, wanted to do his best to make sure that they were not taken away by things that seemed like they were okay. But in the end would be certainly detrimental to them. So he's writing to them. He is thankful because he has heard about their faith in Jesus Christ. He's heard about their response to the gospel, which we found out was the good news of Jesus Christ. And so last time as we left each other, we were challenged to be thankful for the good news, thankful for the gospel. But that thankfulness leading us to share that good news with other people and all things. So today we're going to jump back into the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 9 and part of verse 10. I know this sounds a little bit weird, because normally we wouldn't stop in the middle of a verse. Uh, I don't like to, uh, to do that. The, the thought there, in context, goes all the way through verse 14, and we are going to keep that thought together. We're not going to do anything crazy. However, uh, I didn't really want to mention things this morning and, and, and not really have the time to get into them. Because in this first verse and a half here, we have more than enough to keep us busy for this morning. And so I don't want to gloss over everything. I want to give everything its proper time. And we are going to continue the next time we're together, next time I have the opportunity to preach. Uh, we're going to get back through verse 14. And we're going to keep that entire thought going. But we're going to break it up just a little bit if you'll allow me. So let's get started. Look at verse 9, chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, they'll be up on the screen and you can follow along. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. So we begin in verse 9. And in our little intro, our little catch-up, we talked about what we talked about last time. And that's what Paul is referring to. For this reason, he says, so we understand that you, the church, you're believers... You've responded to the good news, the, the gospel, and so now he wants to share what they have been doing. Keep in mind, when he says we, he's referring to Paul and Timothy, himself and Timothy. So since, he says, since you're believers, since the day we've heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Of course, we understand, this is sort of elementary, right? But it's not 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he's on his hands and knees, nobody can talk to him because he's busy praying for the Colossians. No. 
But I think what we can get from this is he, we can get the fervency of the prayer. Whenever God laid the Colossians on his heart, him and Timothy, they would pray for them. Which I think speaks volumes to his frame of mind, their frame of mind that Paul and Timothy went in with because they were in a constant state of prayer. Because that was their mindset. They were, their mind was set on God and His glory and what God desired for them. So it wasn't a stretch of the imagination. And he certainly wasn't lying when he says, look, we're constantly praying for you. But before we dive into that, we need to understand where was Paul during this time. I think we can appreciate, we'll learn to appreciate it when we start to understand Colossians is part of a group of books that are considered the prison epistles. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, and Colossians. They're aptly named, obviously, because the Apostle Paul is believed to be in prison, awaiting a trial, awaiting a hearing during this time. So we, we see that. We're going to see that later on in chapter 4. It's a, it's a small book, only four chapters. And in chapter 4, he mentions three different times that he's in jail. He's in prison. He wants people to understand that. So you also have to understand this. You have to understand the social political time frame here. Uh, the, the, the church is still relatively new. This, this Jesus Christ, right, he had caused quite a stir. And now his disciples and apostles, they're continuing that. Roman government, not happy about it at all. So Paul, he is a Roman citizen. So he's got, some, he's got uh, some rights and some privileges. So he could call on that. So he is waiting. He's in, on house arrest. He's awaiting a, a, a hearing before Caesar. So, so you have that brief little uh, history lesson. Why do we do that? Well, let's read verse 9 again in light of what we already know about Paul's current condition. That is, that he was in jail. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. So Paul's in prison, and what is he doing? Okay, good, you're awake. He's praying, okay? He is, he's praying, which you may think, okay, it's not a big deal, because I'd be praying if I was in jail. Yeah, I mean, I know I would. I'd be praying uh, that uh, I wouldn't get hurt while I was in there. Uh, praying that uh, I got good food while I was in there. Praying that perhaps maybe an angel will show up and the, the chains will fall off and I'll be able to, to get out. However, Paul's prayers seem to be a little bit different, right? He is praying for the Colossian church. He's praying for others and not himself. And this is important to note here because what we're seeing is how unselfish Paul is even in the midst of his own trials. Let's not be naive to think that Paul didn't ever pray for himself. Okay? Paul was concerned about himself. I mean, we, we all are, right? Uh, you see that in Scripture. Paul will pray for himself in different places. But here's what he does. is He recognizes the level of importance of what he's praying. See, the church's needs in this instance were greater than his own. The fact that the church was under attack by false teachers was of great concern to the Apostle Paul. And obviously God led him to pen this letter. So, this letter, so he writes it. And, and he's bringing other people, not himself, before the throne of grace. It's, it's important to see because here's what I know about our lives. You and I, we tend to get caught up in our own drama, our own path, our own uh, pathway here that we lose sight of other people. We, we, we lose sight of the, those around us that have their own path, that have their own issues, that have their own drama that also need to be supported. But it's, it's, it's easy to be selfish, Right? You don't have to do it. You don't have to try hard to be selfish. It's kind of part of our DNA. On the flip side, however, sometimes it's a chore to meet the needs of others, isn't it? Sometimes it comes natural, right? I mean, we all want to be good people, but it takes intentionality. It takes effort. So Paul made it a point... 
to put God first in all things. Therefore, he's also putting God's people first in all things. So he prays for them. Prayer is such a vital part to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. See, Paul, in all of his books, he references prayer over 50 times in his letters. It wasn't just something that he did. And it wasn't just something that he did blindly. He also relied on other people praying for him. John MacArthur points this out, that Paul recognized the important role of the prayers of others and how, how important of a role that played in his ministry. See, Paul was often, you, you know the life of Paul, he's often under duress, he was in prison, he would, would be on the run, and, and so others were, were trying to trip him up, and so Paul coveted the prayers of the people around him. Not just for protection, but for courage, for, for courage to stand up, for courage to speak out, for the courage to be bold for Christ despite the many obstacles in his life. See, this thing called prayer, it's this amazing and mind-blowing open line of communication that we have to God Almighty. And when we hear, we understand it was vital to Paul. It's a thread that is continuous and consistent all throughout the Bible. Over 400 times, prayer is mentioned in the entire Bible. So the importance of prayer led to prayer being a priority in Paul's life. It was See, prayer was his first move, not his last resort. I mean, why would you, if you knew something was your best move, why would you go to something that you knew was going to, to, to fail, meaning our own efforts, instead of going to God who can handle all things. So here in chapter 1, verse 9, he's sharing with the Colossians what he's been praying about. And what it's going to show them, and, and I believe it will show us too, it's going to show us a lot about his priorities. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the content of his prayer. We're going to look at the purpose of his prayer. And then finally, we're going to look at the intended results that Paul wanted. So let's look back at verse 9. Let's look at the content of this prayer. He's already said, hey guys, I'm praying for you. Here's what I'm praying. I'm asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So I want you to be filled. That means to the top. We, we get a real basic idea of that when we go to get a glass of water. Um, especially uh, kids will see how... How full they can get. And they'll you know, be spilling it everywhere. We, we get the idea of a tall glass of water. But here's how I want you to think of the idea about being filled. Think about this. When you are filled with something, are you not then controlled by it? Now, now follow me. How many of you, and I'm pretty sure I can pick you up. How many of you enjoy going to a good buffet? Come on. Come on. All right. Some of you are like, no, nah, I, like, I like quality, not quantity. I get it. I enjoy a good buffet. Ask the leadership. Uh, we go uh, to Ocean City and uh, we, we hit a buffet and it, it's quite a show. Um, so when you're eating and you get full, you, you want to get your money's worth these buffets, by the way. Okay? So you, you, you're, you're full. I mean, you are full of some. Whatever's on that buffet, you know, you got the, the crab legs, you got the melted butter, you got, I mean, you got, oh, mm, getting hungry just thinking about it, right? You are full. Guess what? You are now going to be controlled by that fullness for the next couple of hours. You're going to walk out of there and you're going to be like, oh my goodness. And then you're going to be looking for a chair. And when you find a chair, you're going to be controlled and you're probably going to fall asleep, right? Think, think about Thanksgiving. We can all relate to Thanksgiving. It's coming up. It's coming up. Alright? Start working. Start working so you can eat. Look, even if you don't eat meat, you don't eat turkey, that's fine. For me, the star of the show is the sides. The mashed potatoes and the gravy and the stuffing and the green bean casserole can't be here quick enough, right? So when you eat Thanksgiving dinner and you get full, you are then controlled by that fullness for the next couple of hours. 
You crawl yourself over to the couch, you turn on the football game, and you get all glassy-eyed in your life. Okay? You're in and out. Okay? Some of you used to, maybe as a kid, maybe as adults, who knows, I don't know. Maybe you've, uh, anyone ever sucked on a helium balloon? I was going to bring it up, but that would be weird. You are then, you are full of the helium. You are then controlled by the healing. I, I, I want to bring up a few examples from, from Scripture. Jesus was healing many people in his day. There was a time when he was healing a paralyzed man. And he says to the paralyzed man, he says, get up and go and walk. Matthew 9, 8. Here's what the crowd did. The crowd saw this. They were filled with awe. I mean, they were controlled with awe. They were controlled so much that they left and they did what? They praised God. Now, Matthew 28, verse 8. This was when Jesus had died for our sins. He was in the grave. Of course, he rose from the grave. The, the women went out to put some spices on him. And the angel says, he's not here. When So they, when they hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. They were controlled by this joy so much so that they ran and they told the disciples. How about Luke 15, 20? You guys know the story. It's a prodigal son. The prodigal son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion. He was being controlled by that compassion that he had. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Look, Paul's prayer for this young church is not for their bellies to be full. Is not for their pockets to be full. It is that they be full. That is controlled by this. The knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul wants them to understand his prayer. His desire for them is to be completely filled with the knowledge of God's will. That is, he wants them to understand their purpose. Anyone still about their purpose, praise God? A few of you? God wants us to understand he's got a purpose. That's that. that means his desire for you, which... Again, we talked about last week, but Paul points out that all that comes from having wisdom and understanding. One author says this about wisdom and understanding. He says the use of these two words simply gives a certain fullness to the statement and thus deepens its impression on the reader. Meaning these two words need to go together. For if you're familiar with the Bible at all, when I say wisdom, you think of who? Solomon. Okay? He's the wisest man that ever lived. But guess what? Solomon was only wise when he chose to use the knowledge that he had. Wisdom without practical application isn't wisdom at all. It's knowledge. And knowledge by itself is useless unless you understand how to use it. Hence the reason the two go hand in hand. Paul has quite a bit to say about wisdom in this small book. He uses the term six times in these short, four short chapters here. The Bible itself has a lot to say about wisdom. Wisdom comes from the word wise, which means to be skilled and to be learned. In its simplest forms, we know a lot of people who are skilled in different things. But yet, does that mean they have wisdom? Does that mean they have spiritual wisdom? See, Paul is talking about not worldly wisdom. Not like the world thinks, because in the eyes of God, Paul points out in 1 Corinthians, he says, the wisdom of the world is just simply foolishness before God. So what kind of wisdom is Paul talking about? Well, James has something to say about it in his book, James 3.17. He says, but the wisdom from above is this. It's first pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's reasonable. It's full of mercy. Good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. See, wisdom is not just knowledge. It's the skillful use of that knowledge. 
It's the action that is pointed out there in James, those eight things. Luke also confirms it's about action in his use of the same Greek word for wisdom as Sophia. He translates it as learning. Look at Acts 7.22. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. That, that word there is also wisdom. And, and what kind of man was he? He was a man of power and words and deeds. See, it's the action that shows the wisdom. When we think of being wise, you know, we always think of the wise man, right? He builds his house on the rock. The foolish man builds his house on the sand. See, a wise man is someone who knows the right thing to do and does it. A fool is someone who knows the right thing to do yet does the complete opposite. See, wisdom comes out in the actions that we show. Again, James 3.13 says, Who among you is wise and has understanding? It says, let him show how? By his good behavior. See, this is not only just any old wisdom that Paul desires for them. In the New American Standard Version, it's the spiritual wisdom and understanding. But a lot of you read the NIV. It says this. It says wisdom and understanding Excuse me, that the Spirit gives. See, it's not our wisdom. It's not our understanding, which our wisdom, our understanding, just fundamentally flawed. It comes from God. How do you get that? James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, what? Just ask of God. See, that's the content of Paul's prayer. That's it. He wants these young believers, he wants them to be filled, that is completely filled, that is guided and controlled by the wisdom and understanding that only comes from God. I mean, it's quite a powerful prayer we're not all the way through it. This content is absolutely amazing. It begs the question about this. What about in our prayer life? What's the, what's the content of our prayers? I mean, honestly, who are you praying for and, and what are you praying about for them? As I've been wrestling with this passage for a while now, I've, I've just come to understand and appreciate how unselfish Paul was. And not just when it came to God, but when it came to everyone. And of course, for the sake of God, he, he fervently prayed for others. He cared about them, not just their physical needs, although I'm sure he cared about their physical needs. But he prayed for their spiritual needs. And so as I was looking over this, I couldn't help but be taken to how I pray for my family and how I pray for my kids. Parents, what do you pray for for your kids? This is a tough one. First, let's just get it out of the way. You should be praying for your kids. Right? You should fervently be praying for your kids. As the, the, the Apostle Paul prayed for his church, right? Praying for them often. Not stopping praying. It's not just a one-stop one shop. You know, you know when sometimes someone asks you, hey, will you pray for me? And you say, yeah. And so you turn around and you're like, okay, I'm going to pray for him. Got, got out of the way. It's not, it's not about that. See, when you come to God in prayer regarding your kids, regarding your family, there's going to be a struggle. For me, there's an internal struggle because here's what I know about myself. Is I want my kids to be successful. I do. I want them to be protected. If I could, and I'm sure you would echo this, if I could put bubble wrap around my kids, both physically and emotionally, I would. Just would. It, 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 it breaks my heart to think, and I know it's going to happen, right? but to think that my girls would, would feel some sort of pain from, from, from really anything. Somebody at school is going to say something to them, or, or, or they're going to get their feelings hurt, or they're going to get hurt on the soccer field or in gymnastics. I mean, I wish that I could protect my kids from all of that, but guess what I can't. That is what prayer makes so very clear to us. 
Because we're giving it to God. We can't protect them. We can't make them successful. We can't be the perfect example for them. But our God can. That's what Paul realized here. You see, remember, Paul has not even met the Colossian church. He hasn't gone there. So he's just giving it to God, constantly praying for him. But what does he pray for? He doesn't pray for physical protection, emotional stability. They're important. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong here. They are very important. He prays for their spiritual need because it's most important. I want my girls to be successful. I want them to grow up and I want them to be the smartest out there. I want them to get a good job. I want them to make money. I want them to enjoy life. I want them to be protected. I want one day them to find somebody that will love them and take care of them. I mean, we we wish that for our kids. We do. That would make me so happy. But here's what I've come to understand. It is exceedingly more important to me that my girls know Jesus Christ than any of that stuff. It's so much more important to me. Not that they just know about him. But to know Him and come to understand Him more and what He desires for them to have that wisdom and knowledge and not just have it but be filled with it, that is controlled by it, guided through life for it, that would make me so much more proud than them getting a high-paying job. Of getting a, uh, some sort of degree or getting a millionaire husband. Although that would be nice. <laughs> See, that's what Paul's concerned about. He's concerned about their spiritual well-being. And so he offers up this amazing prayer. But why? What's the purpose behind it? Why was it so important for the church? Look at verse 10. So that, he's given the reason, you might live a life worthy of the Lord. What good is knowledge if you are not able to put that knowledge to good use? Paul's prayer and desire for this young church was for them to live their life worthy of the Lord. He he, he wants for them to, to, he says it, to walk in a way worthy of the Lord. This is not the first time we've seen this statement from the Apostle Paul. He uses it quite often, in fact, uh, when we went through our series on 1 Thessalonians. Uh, He says, I want you to walk in a manner pleasing to God. Uh, Also, Ephesians, Philippians, he uses this term to walk, obviously meaning action, but meaning constant action, progress, forward progress. And in this instance, walking in a way worthy of the Lord is to make good use of the opportunities that you and I have. See, Paul is telling them, look, church, God is giving you some opportunities every day for you to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And the opportunities you have today may not be the opportunities that you have tomorrow. So make good use of them. He says, walk in a way worthy of the Lord. That is this. That your attitudes and actions and thoughts and deeds, they are suitable. They are appropriate to God. One day, some gentleman is going to come knocking at my door. And is going to be wanting one of my daughter's hands in marriage. And I'm going to ask him, you think you're worthy for my daughter? I imagine, Chris, you've already had that conversation, right? Chris and Selena have a wedding coming up this weekend. Crazy excited about that. Excited for you guys. I'm sure he had that talk. By the way, nobody's worthy of your daughter. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> Let's make this clear. None of us are worthy of a relationship with God. On our own merit, standing alone without someone to rescue us, we're not even close. It's only by the grace and the mercy of God that we are brought to Him. And Paul understood that that is the only way through His power that we can be successful in living. That we can be successful in in living a life worthy of God. John MacArthur points this out. He says, trying to walk worthy in our own strength is doomed to failure. John MacArthur, very encouraging guy. Martin Luther states this, or he'll appreciate this. 
In the psalm, a mighty fortress is our God, which we sing from time to time, right? One of the verses says, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? It's Christ Jesus. It is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Not me. He must win the See, it's in God's strength. It's in God's power. And that's what Paul realized as he's praying for them, and he's praying for them fervently. See, the content of his prayer was for them to be filled with this wisdom and understanding. The purpose was so that they would walk in a way, uh, in, in, in a manner worthy of the Lord. And now, if they did all that, what would be the intended result? Look further in verse 10. Simply to please Him in all respects, or all things, or all ways. Paul has made it clear to us this. And he is a man of prayer. We have seen it, that, that, that God's word is packed full of prayer. Paul's writings packed full of prayer. Paul has shown his priorities. They had nothing to do with the physical world around him. He made prayer a priority. And he prayed that God's will and wisdom and understanding would be known to these people. Why? So that they, so that they, they would know and walk in a way worthy, worthy of the Lord. The intended result is this, that they would please him in all things. I mean, again, this goes back to purpose. Pleasing God in all things. The goal of life, bring honor and glory to God. Paul reiterates it here again. He says to the Colossal Church, your job, your purpose is to please God. To please it's an interesting term, isn't it? We always think action when we think to please. And while that's part of it, and, and, and we're, we're going to see that next time we get together, pleasing also has, is much deeper than just action. The term for please in the Greek is areskla, which means nothing to you. But here's, here's what it means. It's a noun. And it means to have the desire to please. I'll never forget played basketball in college. Uh, Mike and I were talking about this this morning. And my coach, uh, he loved conditioning. I did not. Uh, and he would have us running back and forth, running back and forth. And he would shout something all the time to us that will just, it will just haunt me forever. He says, gentlemen, the want to win is nothing without the desire to prepare for victory. It's ingrained in my mind over and over and over again. Which means... You can want something. If you don't have the desire to do it, the desire to prepare for it, it doesn't mean anything. See, to please someone, you must first have the desire to do it. The want to. Something that is driving you to please somebody. One commentator points this out about this word in the Greek. He says it suggests an attitude of mind that anticipates every wish. To please somebody anticipates every wish. You know, when I think about that idea, it takes me back to the first time that I met my wife. We're going on celebrating 17 years? Whew. 17 years, right? In, in about a month. Remember, celebrating our anniversary. I knew that. I just wanted to be I remember, gentlemen, you, you, it's, it's, it's crazy, right? You can remember the first time you, you met your spouse. I can remember the first time I saw her like it was yesterday. All those emotions and feelings come rushing back. We had a whirlwind of a romance. We met and were engaged within three months. And then another three months, we were married. Guys, I had to move quick before she figured it out. <laughs> when we first started dating, and even before that, even, even before it was official that we started dating, uh, I, I, I did everything I could to please her. 
It, it, was, it was an attitude of mine. I mean, she was on my mind all day, every day. I would leave work, drive almost two hours to see her through traffic, didn't care. I'd take her out, whatever she wanted. I did everything in my power to ha make that happen, which it kind of added up to a lot of credit card debt, but it was worth it. <laughs> right? I mean, the only thing I cared about was her happiness. I wanted to please her. I did my best to anticipate her wishes. I mean, we can remember that, right? We, we first met our... Our mates. So that's when you first get married. 17 years later on a Sunday afternoon as you're sitting there, comatose, watching football, and your wife says, oh man, I'm thirsty, and you go, yeah, me too. <laughs> There's water in the fridge. <laughs> Give me a glass, please. Look, the desire to please may change in intensity over time. But you love her. Wives, you love him. You do anything for him. Even more, so much more should it be in our desire to please God. Who is our creator, our sustainer? That's what Paul recognized here. He recognized what was important in life and everything else paled in comparison to knowing and living for God. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Not losing sight of what is important or, or maybe even just gaining that insight in the first place. I mean, it's, a, it's a understanding priorities. That is hard. Paul got it. And he wanted to pass it on to the Colossians, and he wants to pass it on to you and I today as believers. Now, you may be here this morning, and you may hear that term, believers, and go, I, I don't know what you mean. I, I'm not a believer, but I'm, I'm a pretty good person, so I know how to please this, this man upstairs. And, you know, I, I, can, I, I can do some things. I'm a pretty good person. I, I can give some money. I, I can do all this kind of stuff. Well, let me share with you just what the Bible has said, not my words. Let me share with you what the Bible has to say, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. As an unbeliever, it is impossible to please God. Because without God, you're simply living in sin. You may be thinking you're a good person, but you're separated from God. Romans speaks to this. Speaks to the fact that we were lost in our sins and that each one of us have sin and we fall short of God's glory. Even though we try to, to, to earn the salvation, we will constantly fall short we may help people do good things, give money, donate time. We try to watch our language. We may come to church occasionally. We may even go on a mission trip, but none of that makes you a believer in Jesus Christ. Without faith, we fall short. We can't do enough to get to heaven. Religion tells us, yeah, no, you can, because religion says, you know what, here's the equation. You've got to do this, 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 and this, and this, and then maybe it'll work out. God has a different equation. It's Jesus. There's no salvation without Jesus Christ. That is God's own Son who is a sacrifice on your behalf, on my behalf, to make it so that we don't have to try and rely on what we can do because we're going to fall short anyway. We trust in the fact of who Jesus Christ is and what He accomplished on that cross. Listen to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. has nothing to do with us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourself. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. If you're here this morning and you're in that position, you're not a believer. I hope that you don't leave here without making that decision. Maybe you grab someone next to you that you think they're a Christian and just, hey, talk to me about it. Most important decision you've got to make. Paul's prayer for the Colossians, right? We recognize that prayer was a priority for him. We see the content of his prayer was directed at knowing God. And the reason behind that prayer was that they would live a life worthy of the Lord. What's the intended result? They do all that. It's that they would please him in every way. It's quite a prayer. 
Paul's not done with that prayer. And I know you're looking at your watch and you're like, he's not done, but you are. I mean, we're, we're getting close here. Look, there's, there's a lot more here. And we're, we're going to hit that. We will. We're going to hit that the next time we talk. Because we need to find out. I know I need to live in a way that's pleasing to God. Okay, give me some specifics. How can I do that? He's going to give us four specific things. And we're going to look at them next time. As I close this morning, I just want to share with you. Most of you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm a pastor's kid. Um, I'm, I'm proud of it. Uh, my dad, my mom, they're my heroes. Um, as, a, as a kid growing up, as a pastor's kid, uh, my dad would take me to prayer meeting. Um, and I, I'll be honest, each week wasn't my favorite night of the week. <laughs> prayer meetings are tough for young people. You're probably thinking, oh, they're tough for old people too sometimes, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it can, prayer, prayer can be tough. But I can remember, as a young kid, my dad being faithful, my mom being faithful, they would take me to prayer meeting, and I would hear some wild prayers, man. There was the woman who talked like she was just a little church mouse. You could barely hear her. But man, she was genuine. She was sweet. There was the guy that seemingly studied his thesaurus before he came, and he put on quite a word show. There was one that I deemed the repeater. There's one in every group. They get stuck on one word. It could be a different word from week to week. And in my little immature mind, I would count how many times they said it. I mean, I was an immature, young believer, but I was a believer. My dad and my mom, they preached the gospel to us. They were wonderful examples. And I will say this, that it was a very positive experience for me. And even though most nights at prayer meeting, I drifted off to sleep before the last one was done. But I would always wake with my dad's Amen. It's like an alarm clock, right? In fact, some of you just woke up. You're like, hey, sweet, we're almost done. I heard the amen. It taught me at a very young age that prayer is important. It is. It's vital. It's not just an exercise that you do to look spiritual, sound spiritual. I learned that prayer is important, and I learned that God answers prayer. Here's my hope for us. Our prayer is that we continue to grow in our knowledge of God. In, in, in all wisdom and understanding, not just to, to, to grow, but to be made full, right? To be controlled by the knowledge and the wisdom that God can give. That we take every opportunity that God gives us to please Him in all things. Because remember, it's not just an action, it's a mindset. That we're willing to do anything for the one who has done everything for you. See, that's Paul's prayer for this church. That's my prayer for you. In fact, that's my prayer for my family. It's my prayer for myself. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Man, that's prayer. My hope and my prayer is that this prison prayer will be the prayer that is on your lips as you leave here today. That it's not just words, that it will come out in actions. That you will use it as a prayer to pray for your own family. That you will model the way. It's not going to be perfect, but in God's own strength, He will help you. Let that be your prayer as we leave here this morning. Will you pray with me? Our God, Your Word is its an amazing thing. These letters that were written... To see the model of prayer. To understand you put so many things in here for 
For us to look up as, as an example, Lord, your entire word is inspired and inerrant. It's all profitable for all things. We see that in your word. Lord, you've put the Apostle Paul in front of us. You've uh, allowed him to share his prayer with us. Lord, he's specifically praying for that church. And, and, and his prayer was poignant, Lord. It had, had purpose. It had intended results. Lord, we can learn something from that prayer. May that be on our lips as we leave here today. May we have a deeper understanding of knowing you, of, of how to serve you, of how to please you, Father. May we lift up our families and, 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 and our church and the people around us in prayer. So, so vital. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this time that we can share. I pray that we've been challenged by it. Not only challenged, but changed. So we thank you for all of this in your son's precious name. Amen. Stand and worship one more time. And we pray for turning our eyes.